There I am in a church singing, Go Tell It on the Mountain, with a girl who's quite tall, and I'm behind the pulpit singing with her, standing on a box, so that I would be tall enough. Um, Talk about self-conscious. I didn't uh, become taller until uh, high school, and so I I was afraid for years I was going to grow up to be Mickey Rooney. And uh, be small, that no one knows who that is, but he was quite short. Um, then they had a play called A Mall and the Night Visitors. It's actually an opera, and I played a shepherd in that. And they put me in tights, which made me self-conscious. Uh, and so uh, I struggled with... Uh, church and with self-consciousness and with the meaning of all these things. In fact, my very first experience going into that church, I went in on a Sunday, they were going to have communion. And they had a table with all of the elements and they had a white sheet over the table. And um, I heard some guys talking about they were going to eat the body and drink the blood. And I thought it was a funeral and I left and went and took my offering that my mom gave me to the local liquor store that was the only thing open right down the street from the church and, um, and bought candy. I was a little afraid to go into churches. I didn't understand that stuff. Uh, I now have been experiencing and studying and struggling with the rituals and the liturgy of Judaism and Christianity for my entire adult life, and I'm just scraping the surface of the meaning and the impact of what is there. Today we're going to observe the uh, bread and wine of what the traditional churches call the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. And the form that is found in churches are either sacramental or ordinances. I'm not going to get into that. But we observe that four times a year. Some churches do it every week, every service. Some churches do it uh, once a a month. Some do it once a quarter. Uh, Some do it uh, uh, once a year. There, There are various traditions regarding that. And the reason for those traditions are meaningful. And uh, I don't want to put one against another. I think they're, they're, they're important. But we do it four times, and each time we do it, we do it a little different. The one that's probably the most awkward for our congregation is the one we do today. Uh, at Advent, when we observe the what is called the Communion or the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, as it's called in, uh, in free churches, we emphasize the Incarnation. And we use the more traditional mass form of the ceremony. We use the host. Uh, we walk up individually and partake of it, uh, which is different for many people in the free church. But we are focused on the incarnation, the word made flesh. At Holy Week, drawing from the Jewish roots of this whole process... We emphasize the passion, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord in the context of the Last Supper, the Last Seder, the Passover meal. 
and we usually have a liturgy that is much more tied to the uh, Passover. At Pentecost, when we do it, we uh, follow the emphasis of communion, being part of one another. And we follow the Eastern tradition, which technically follows the Sabbath tradition with the leavened bread and with the elements in reversed order, as we do on Shabbat. And then at Tabernacles, Sukkot, we emphasize the restoration um, and the idea of the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, and the kingdom to come. And so in each of these, while it's the same elements in effect, and we're still looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord that we show until He comes again, we allow for the emphasis of the season to, to inform us of what's going on. I think that's important. I think it's important that we reinforce these things. One of the things that I'm uh, thrilled with that we do at the Disciple Center is having the children do the, the nativity play. Um, because I've seen a lot of professionally done nativity plays. I enjoy them. But I don't remember them the way I remember the ones I was in in those early years of being in the church. There is something about the actual participation in that that reinforces it and internalizes it. And so I'm really glad that, that, we, uh, that we're doing that. As we think about this season, it's really about the incarnation. And in some sense, there are two major thoughts that we need to keep in mind. The incarnation, which is a scandal, and in some sense is absurd that God would become human, that he would enter into the creation is an absurd idea. It's a scandalous idea. And yet the scripture says it happened. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as one songwriter put, the word of the Father became Mary's little son. And love reached all the way to us. That's worth celebrating. That's worth reinforcing. That's worth understanding that we couldn't get to God in some way. He got to us. The second part is that he rose from the dead. Resurrection is critical because if we just die and go to be with the Lord, we are in some sense incomplete. He didn't come to save our spirit alone, but to save all of us so that we will be resurrected like he is and we will see him as Job says in my flesh I shall see him my eyes shall behold him and not another so it is important from the Christian tradition that incarnation and resurrection be the primary focus 
of all of the holy days that Christianity has. This passage that we look at each year at this time in John chapter 6, I'd like you to turn there. Uh, and we just speak briefly about it because we're going to do the ceremony. Uh, so not a full sermon in that sense. But something worth uh, understanding why we do what we do. In John chapter 6, beginning at verse 41, and before I read it, let me remind you of the context of this. Jesus has fed the 5,000, giving them food. And he has told his disciples uh, that he's going away. They start looking for him. And they find him and they say, where are you going? What are you doing? And he says, what are you seeking? Because he knew that they were seeking another miracle. Now they weren't seeking the miracle so much as they were seeking the food. Food is a difficult issue for most of human existence. Every day, many people around the world, most people around the world, get up and say, will I eat today? How will I eat today? We're that fortunate small group that says, what shall I eat today? Will it be Chinese? Will it be Italian? Will it be Mexican? What, what, what will I, will it be in and out? What, we don't think we won't eat. We try to figure out what we'll eat. And sometimes, perfectly good food we don't want. Very different. These people knew what it was to be, to have food be scarce. And so Jesus provides this food and they're following him. He tells them, not to seek the food that he provided, which is temporal, because they would hunger again. But that they should seek eternal food. And he reminds them that the manna that Moses gave them, they said Moses gave them. He corrects them and says, Moses didn't give it to you. My father gave it to you. God is the one who gave them the manna. And he says, it is God who gives the true bread. From heaven. So we pick up at verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling. These are the Judean leadership uh, at the time of Jesus. They're all Jews. Um, John specifically talks about these Judeans, these southern uh, elite Jews who are coming in and um, giving him uh, trouble. They were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down out of heaven? They know the story of his birth in that he is born of Mary, whose husband is Joseph. He's Joseph's kid. He's Yeshua ben Yosef. They know who he is. What do you mean you came from heaven? And he said to them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is, with, who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
And I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Odd statement. You and I don't believe because we've chosen to believe. We don't believe because some great wisdom has been given to us. Some argument has been given to us by an evangelist. We are drawn to the Lord by the Spirit of God because God is the one who is causing us in that sense to believe. And Jesus says that no one can come to him unless the one who sends him draws them. And this is written in the scriptures that we are taught of God. It reminds me, and you know the story, of Peter. When Jesus says, who, who do the people say I am? And some said, some think you're Jeremiah. Some think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father. Yes, we read the scriptures. Yes, people tell us the gospel. But the reality is that God does a work in our heart. I once had somebody ask me with all this stuff that uh, I've gone through and my family's gone through, how can I believe? And my answer is always, I don't know how to not believe. There's times when I wish I didn't. There are times when I tried to deny it. But I have always, from the time I heard the biblical text, had a sense that this is the word of God and it, the message is true. Sometimes that makes me uncomfortable because my flesh wants to go somewhere else. But I know whom I have believed. And that comes from God, not from us. Thank God it comes from Him because there are times when we're so weak that we would not make that choice. So, this faith that we have, this belief in the one sent from God, is not a matter of argument or choice. If you believe that drawing is from God, and that revelation is from God, and it is the gift of eternal life. Then Jesus goes on to say something about that. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And this bread also that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now the Judeans begin to argue with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're thinking so literally. And he said, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. <coughs> For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
As the Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats of me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the Father ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Now the church has struggled with these words throughout theological history. And it became a major battle during the Reformation. As people in who believe, these are not people who don't believe, people who believe struggled with what this means. Does that mean that in some sense, the bread and the wine that is used in this ceremony literally becomes the blood and the body of Christ so that we eat that so that we live. That's the most literal translation possible. And of course, that's what the Judeans were struggling with. They were taking that literally. Then there are people who go the other extreme, and many of our ancestors are that, the Baptists who basically say, it's simply a symbol. Just a ritual that we do to remind us, and there's no real effect in the process. Those two extremes. Now the problem with that extreme is that Paul says to the Corinthians that when you eat this and you drink this in an unworthy manner, not discerning the body of the Lord. You eat and drink condemnation to yourself. And for this reason, some are sick. And some are weak. And some have died. Now that doesn't sound symbolic to me. Somewhere between mere ritual and full incarnation is the reality of what we do. And it's critical that we do it. Faith and action go together. Jesus didn't say, the one who believes my flesh and believes my blood. He says, the one who eats it. How do we partake of it? Well, we partake of it in the ritual that we're about to do. But we, we partake of it Really in the believing. And the believing and the partaking are fused together. They are not separated. To simply believe and to not behave keeps it outside of this reality. And to turn the reality into its literally the body and the blood, so now we have to pack it up lest it fall off the table and some insect eat of the divine essence is the kinds of stuff that happens at the extremes. We want to stay away from those extremes. But we want to be aware that the Lord is present in our midst when we gather. That in the ritual that he said, do this in remembrance of me, he was asking us to engage in behavior that is not behavior without faith, nor faith without behavior, but is the combination of, 
I believe, therefore I speak. I believe, therefore I do. And it's in that that we are bringing together both the spiritual reality and the physical reality of which we are part. For we were created from the dust of the ground and God breathed into us the breath of life. So this ceremony that we perform, this ritual which we enact, this mystery that we embrace, this truth that we trust, and this one that we follow in our life, the scripture says of him, in him was life and the life was the light of man. He became one of us that he might make us one with him and each other and the Father. Absurd or true? I believe it's true. And it is that belief that compels me to the table to participate in as much as I can the fullness of what it means. So that in the dark, dark, dark times of life, the light remains within. That requires incarnation and it requires resurrection. Let's pray.